ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Irene Watson, Managing Editor of Reader Views. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 140 in our series. Tonight's topic will be differentiating your book from run-of-the-mill genres with special guest Paul McNeese. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we have with us uh, Paul McNeese, who was last here about 100 episodes ago, in case anyone is still listening from that time. In 1985, after 27 years of writing for radio, TV, newspapers, and magazines in corporate America, Paul McNeese retired to found the OPA Publishing Company in 2002, where he helps others to publish their own writings. In 2008, he refocused his work and began guiding authors only through the development and production of books and ebooks, and then turning his clients over to a consortium of trusted experts he has gathered over the years to handle their marketing, promotion, publicity, and distribution needs. Today, his new company, OPA Author Services, helps both first-time authors and seasoned professionals to self-publish their materials. In this session of Authors Access, Paul McNeese is here with us to share some thoughts and advice on a vital aspect of branding for writers and authors, which he calls differentiating your book from others in the genre. Well, welcome back, Paul. Thank you. Uh, that that uh, time frame is making me feel quite old. <laughs> I didn't realize that we were started that long ago, too. So, But this is great. So great to have you back again, Paul. And so today we're going to be talking about branding, and I know that this is something that you have a real passion for. So I guess before we go any further, let's talk about branding. What is branding? Oh, good, good. We need a definition. Uh, it, it, let me, let me say first that um, you mentioned that I have a passion for branding, uh, and I, in his introduction, Victor said, I don't do marketing, and both are true. The thing of it is, the marketing is a part of the operation of, that an author has to live through that is uncertain. There's no way of predicting it. I can do a lot of prediction about how a book will look and so forth. I can make promises that I can keep. But the marketing part of it is very difficult. So what I do in my practice is I start with marketing and I work with authors to develop a marketing plan. And in that plan, we make some decisions. And the the plan, for example, in one case might be, well, what makes your book different from anybody else's book? And the author may or may not know. So what I do then is if if they don't know and I can't figure it out by my read of of their manuscript, I say, then what makes you different? And notice that I don't say better. I just said different. Because branding is essentially a process of differentiation. But what it is is a concept that really identifies or sets apart or sets above the normal, the regular, the everyday, a certain aspect of what an author might be doing. And it might, in fact, be the author himself or herself. But the definition would say branding means to simply create a unified memorable message that communicates uniqueness and has a focus and is really a value statement. So that's the definition of 
a meaningful, memorable message that communicates uniqueness, focus, and values. So by message, uh, I would assume that you mean it could be a logo or it could be a tagline, or are there other things that um, authors can use to uh, have uh, to stipulate their own brand? In many cases, it's a statement of purpose. It's something that, for example, would be contained on the selling copy, on the back cover copy of the printed book. It would be a statement about what the book is, is about or what it's designed to do. Now, obviously, this would apply more to nonfiction in most cases than to fiction, but it can actually be the same in both cases. And it, it, uh, that's to say that in a nonfiction situation, you can be talking about why um, you need to read a book about, let's say, bipolar disorder. I mean, it's been the disease of the month for a long time now. And, but there may be something new or something different in it that needs to be exposed, and that becomes the branding statement. But it, it, it can be a logo, but it can also be a person, because when you can't brand your book, you brand the author. And uh-huh. if you want an example of that, let's just mention the name J.K. Rowling. If she hadn't written that series, whatever it was that she wrote, I can't seem to remember, <laughs> um, she would have written something you remembered. Yeah. And if I mention Rowling, you immediately, of course, think of Harry Potter. Yeah. And conversely, if I mention Harry Potter, you think of Rowling, and we'll come to that in, the, in a little while, because that's also part of the branding situation. But it can be anything. It could be a device, that is a, a logo. It could be a, a statement. It could be a history. In other words, branding doesn't happen instantly. Coke didn't get to be Coke before it was Coca-Cola, for example. So give me an example of uh, a statement of purpose or something, let's say, for a nonfiction book that could be used as a brand. Well, as a matter of fact, the, the, the bipolar thing has some, some relevance here. Um, in in the, the, the branding statement on a book I did a few years ago, I'm now working on a second edition, which brings it to mind, but it is bipolar disorder is a family illness. Normally, you think of a, a, a mental state as being something very personal to one individual, but much like addiction, such as alcoholism or drug abuse, the, the waves from that project out into the family and ultimately out into the community, into the workplace. And so the, the branding statement for this particular book that I'm referring to is to simply emphasize right at the very beginning that bipolar disorder is a, is a family illness, a thief of family serenity and peace of mind, a destroyer of emotional balance for everyone who comes into contact with it. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. And so it's, it's not necessarily even what makes bipolar disorder unique. It does make how you think about it unique, though. And if you're affected by it, believe me, it becomes very personalized as well. That's a a great illustration. I was just thinking, uh, in the publishing business, you see, even uh, well, with the biggest publishers, they have dozens, if not hundreds, of imprints, and each imprint is devoted to a specific market area. I mean, I've got five or six imprints myself, and I'm a pretty small publisher. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you recommend that your clients, you know, create a specific imprint to their uh, area of expertise? For, for the most part, I have to admit, my clients are not big enough to even begin thinking about that. But it's a wonderful question, and, and let's deal with it a little bit. Um, and I have to do it co- sort of by example. When I work with a, an individual author who has is publishing a book, 
and I recommend that they self-publish. They become an independent publisher, in quotes. Um, of course, that's just a designation. It's a one-person band, you know. And But it can, in fact, be have some identity. I'm working with a client now who I worked with a couple of years ago as she developed a fiction book about um, the Underground Railroad and how it functioned in southern Pennsylvania, southwestern Pennsylvania. Now, between then and now, that was published by an, uh, another publisher. I, I mean, it was published by her, but under another right. publishing name. And now she comes back to me with this. I have just written a book. I've just finished a book. On It's also on Pennsylvania, and it's about the Johnstown flood or the consequences of the Johnstown flood and how it affected the life of one particular woman. And she said, and it was a, just a remarkable moment because I remember it. I, I got a chill on the telephone. She said, I've decided I want to become the lady who writes, about, who writes fiction about Pennsylvania. And I said to her, in that instant, I said, you just branded yourself. And it, what a wonderful way to do it because she has is, she is absolutely defined herself geographically to that you know, funny-looking state called Pennsylvania. And she has unequaled opportunity because Pennsylvania has a long and rich history from Philadelphia at the time of uh, pre-revolutionary America or pre-revolutionary North America right up until today. So she branded herself. She just simply made a decision. She loves history. She was a history teacher. And she writes fiction about the places where she grew up. And so what we actually did was we created a publisher name for her, Fox Hollow Press, which represents, which is in fact a little village that she lived in from the time she was three till about 17 years of age. So the imprint idea ultimately might come into, into being there because Pennsylvania is broken down into counties and it's broken down into regions. And believe me, there's a pretty severe rivalry between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia in some things like sports, for example. So the answer to your question, long answer to short question is, if I had an author who had enough books and there was a diversity within the books that that author had, I would definitely recommend imprints as a way to, to set things off, particularly if she had national distribution at any level. Yeah, yeah that's a great story. Uh, so I guess this is interesting. So branding is as, maybe is it as much about what you aren't as what you are? Or tell us a little bit more about the differentiating aspects. Oh, gosh. Okay, uh, but that, you keep coming up with these questions that are. I, I don't want to take up all the time with defining what's going on, but yes, it is. It's a it's identity, and it's differentiation within an identity, and uh, branding. Just by definition, I mean by what it is. Look at it historically. Branding started with a way to dif to differentiate my cows from your cows. When I, you know, we're both we're both ranchers. I've got cows. Oh yeah, cows. yeah, yeah. They're riding around on the open plains, and so I stamp my brand on mine, and you stamp your brand on yours, and then along come the rustlers and change the brands, and life goes to hell in a handbasket. But when you when you translate that into identity and identification and things like a, an imprint or things like an author's name, the name of an author alone. I mentioned J.K. Rowling, but you know you can list 20 or 30 authors that you know by reputation and the only thing you can ask when you go into the bookstore is, is there anything new by whoever? Uh, because you really don't know all the titles. I, I love Agatha Christie, but I can't remember every title she ever wrote. 
So there, there is a differentiation, but sometimes the differentiation is in perception rather than in fact. And that's a very important point, too, I think, as we look at that, because how an individual, a buyer, a customer, a reader, how an individual makes the decision to buy books is oftentimes based on that differentiation and nothing else even though the quality of the writing might vary from volume to volume. And as you know, there are some writers out there who will remain nameless who don't write their own books anymore. They have people writing them, but they are people who write in their style, and they simply attach their names to it, and it sells. So that differentiation is, a, is totally subjective, just as it is with the differentiation between Coke and Pepsi, for example. Right. Now... What kind of things can a person do to to test market their brand? I mean, I don't have, I can't put together a focus group like Coke or Pepsi, but what, what can I do? Oh well, there there are many things that you can do. The question is, will you do them? Now I'm going, I'm putting you in the position of the author. For the most part, authors write books, and that's what they think their function is. But as you know, and I know, the function, the real function of an author is to get the book moving once it's out there. And there's a problem at the, at the outset because the author has a view of his or her book that says this is the best and only book that anybody should ever read. And, of course, that's fallacious to begin with. Uh, but, and, and the reason it's fallacious is because no matter what you're writing about, there are a lot of other people writing about the same thing or have written it about in the written about it in the past or in fact are writing or going to write about it in the future so what you really want to do with a brand is to help limit the choices available or, or desirable to the reader and to make it seem inevitable that they'll buy your book you know let, let me try to translate that into off there i don't know what the figures are but they're in, enormous uh, Victor, you might know better than I, uh, weren't there something like on the order of 800,000 books produced in the United States in 2008 or 2009? Uh, I want to say like 500,000, but it's still, it's crazy. Well, that, that's it. Okay. And what's crazy about that is even if you break it down into genres and, and make piles of books that are in various genres, all the piles are pretty high. And in a pile of books that high, it's really easy to get lost. And the obverse of that is it's really difficult to be found. So that's really what branding is all about. And it's complicated now, of course, by the notion that it's so easy to publish these days. The, the new technology, print-on-demand, e-books, uh, books contained in blogs, chapter books. There are just too many choices out there for a lot of people. Therefore, there's uncertainty, and therefore, it's easy to get lost and hard to be found. So... What your question seems to point to is what should the author think about when it comes to branding, the work product, or, or the self? Is that, a, is that an accurate translation? Because I can address that a little bit. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. And then I would say the first thing to do, and I do it with my clients right away, is plan ahead. In other words, when you've written your book and sometimes, oh, Lord, I wish people would come to me before they actually write. <laughs> but, but you know they don't. And, uh, but if they are thinking ahead, what they will do is they'll start thinking about how they'll sell the book before they begin to write. Or if I catch it at the stage where it's a, a manuscript but needs work, 
of any kind, and I'm not going to differentiate now between fiction and nonfiction, but just to say, if the manuscript needs work, the aspect, the, the thing that I try to have them focus on is, what is the work that's needed? Is it the work that's needed to make it intelligible? Well, if that's all it is, no problem, because any editor can do that. But if it's the work it, that's required to make it saleable, that's a different story. And once I lay that on an author's doorstep and they start contemplating what's that really all about, what they have to do then is make some decisions about what it is about their book that not only they think is different or better or both, but that they believe the world will. And then you decide on at that level, you, began to, you begin to make the distinction sometimes between the book and the author, which I said, you know, an author can be a brand also. So we try to decide whether that's relevant. Uh, in the case of this lady from Pennsylvania, to go back to that because it's such a good and current um, case study, if you will, uh, I, we sat down, she and I, and decided that she is actually going to make a trip back to Pennsylvania right after the first of the year because she has a third book that's working, uh, that's coming into being. It's about another region in Pennsylvania entirely. Her first two books are more or less western and southwestern Pennsylvania. Now she's got one that's up in the Scranton area that's up in the northeast. So she's going to go back to Pennsylvania and begin to visit historical societies, libraries, museums, places where there are centers of influence that can begin to identify her with the lady who writes fiction about Pennsylvania. And she's also going to be gathering story ideas. She says she's got eight to ten books in her head, but she could be working with 30 very easily at any one time. And I said, if you can do it, do it. So she's going back to Pennsylvania, and she's going to go to work. And she will not get lost. It'll make, she'll be much easier for her to be found because she's beginning to enlist not an army of readers. Her first book, by the way, is, is in the three to 4,000 sales range now, pretty much in Pennsylvania, because she knows where to go and knows a lot of people back there. But she's going to look further at that. And so she's planning ahead, making the marketing plans, as she develops this series, and that will help her, by the way, to, dis to really discern which book ought to be next because she is trying to break out the geography. She's done the West. She's done the Southwest. She's now doing the Northeast. What's going on in the Northwest? What's going on down by the Jersey line? What's going on right dead center in the middle of the state? And the answer is a lot of people think there's nothing between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. There's lots. So she's going to be researching at the same time. It's all part of the marketing, but it's not the marketing for this coming book. It's the marketing for the two or three books ahead of it as well. I'm really glad to uh, hear that authors are doing that kind of thing, uh, Paul, because that is so important. You had earlier said that, you know, many times the authors just write the book and you wish that you, they would have talked to you before they even started writing the book. True. So, And this is all just, you know, the branding could be really mind-boggling. So... Is there like a how-to or a step-by-step -step process to figure out how to actually brand? I'd have to qualify that. And the answer is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a template. It's not a plan. It's sort of a template. And a template is it shows you the general dimensions of things, and then you begin to place elements. It's sort of like building a website. You're placing elements in a physical field with a website, in branding, it's, a, it's just a system. It's very flexible. It's got to be flexible. 
and it's got elements that um, may vary by sometimes being there and sometimes not. In other words, there are times to em emphasize the author, and that's that's the week before an author makes an appearance in a in a bookstore, or does an interview on a major radio station, and then you begin to work with the author element of of a branding process. Even if the book is what's being branded, the affiliation, the association with the author is necessary. And after all, it's the voice of the author that's going to be on the radio or the figure of the author that's going to be on the television set. And uh, so that's one element of it. Another would be, and this is getting a bit technical, but I'm finding myself having to do this whether I like it or not, and that's to... Um, develop all of my collateral materials with these people who do the marketing, the publicity, the public relations and all, to develop those materials around the brand and make that brand very search engine friendly. And, you know, the Internet is just ruling my life today. Sometimes sad, sometimes really wonderful. But search engine optimization for websites and particularly for blogs now so that you can take that author or that title and move it up toward the top of those Google listings is probably one of the most ele important elements of branding, and that is simply to be findable. You know, where can I find this? <laughs> the bookstores are pretty good, and if an author does the right job and I do these jobs for my authors, I will make sure that, they're in, that their Bowker listings are correct and that they're up to date and that they sell just as hard as the back cover of the book, for example. But that's only one little thing, and that applies mostly to bookstores and libraries, schools and colleges, because they know, they're the people who know to look in books and print to find something. But what if it's a brand new book? Well, that's not so easy. So the best way they'll, the best device most librarians have, and they all tell me the same thing is, I Google it. I Google it. They don't all use Google, but that's now the same word as Kleenex, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a generic for do a search. And so those search engines become very important. And Irene, you're going to like hearing this. It's no bombshell to you, but the review of a book is very, very important. Yep. It's important, and, it, it, and sometimes that makes little difference whether it's a negative or positive review in terms of one or more aspects of the book. And for developing writers particularly, they've got to expect a little criticism from good reviewers. I notice your staff does balanced reviews. Yeah. Most of the people in the major newspapers often don't. They often will pick the weak spot and chew away at that. The only exception that I know of fairly consistently being the New York Times when it was really doing the work. But the review is very important. Mentions are very important. Interviews are very important. I think, for example, once your book is li listed on Amazon, you should recruit everybody you can think of who is validly should do this to put a review up there. And I notice lots and lots of reader views comments on various books on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing by doing that, and I'm not sure that it's you that does it, but it's done, and it's done as a result of what people ask you or pay you or tell you to do um, for them is that it just increases the power of that book. I always read reviews. I'm, I read reviews like I read books. I'm interested in it. I'm interested in how they said what they said. I'm interested in what did they spot in a book. And these are not just books I do. These are books that anybody does. If I'm looking up a book just for research, 
I'll always scroll down and see how did the public look at this book. So they're very important. And another aspect of, of template, uh, t- building the template is if you write, for God's sake, write. That is to say, don't just write the book and then go away. Write articles about what you've written about. Get yourself into, if you're a nonfiction writer particularly, get yourself into a position of being known as an expert. Experts. Wow. It's so easy to become an expert today. Do you watch cable TV at all? There are so many experts on cable TV, <laughs> yeah. they make you laugh. Yep. But, but the fact is, if you do have a legitimate product and you do know your subject, you are an expert. And now then you capitalize on that, and that begins to fit into the template. And then the only other two elements I can say is give it time. <laughs> most authors and most people are just naturally, in, in the United States particularly, impatient folks. And not only do you have to give it time to, on the outbound side, you have to give it time. You have to be willing to wait for the public consciousness to catch up with yours. You may be miles ahead of the public in, in what you're doing or saying in your books, and eventually they'll get to you, but hang in there, you know, persist. And, and I, you asked me to give you a little outline. I happen to be looking at that outline now. I haven't up to now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I may have missed something really important. But one of my uh, subtopics under that, how can an author get from unknown to known, and that is persist. Just do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And the more you do, the more you'll know what does, and then you'll know what not to do. So that's the other element, I guess. And, uh, and the template, of course, has more elements than that. Mm-hmm. Even. But each case is unique. So, well, yes, the, the question was, is there a how-to? N- yes and no. Mm-hmm. Is there a template? You're darn right there is, and you've got to seek that out, and the sooner the better. Yeah, I, I so agree with you. Uh, one thing you had mentioned, uh, of course, I'm all for search engine optimization, and this, you know, harp on my staff that does the posting that they really understand what's going on, what, what to do, use long-tail keywords. But when you were talking about uh, the branding and for search engine optimization, I also think, and I might be wrong, so I, I want to hear comments on this, is if you're using a statement or you know some type of wording, a statement of purpose or a, a tagline or whatever, that that particular piece, should be long tail keyword searchable. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and a lot of people will not have a notion as to what you're talking about. Um, but it, it, it uh, why don't you define long tail? Just oh. give, give, give me a short description of long tail because I, I don't, I don't want to mess that one up. <laughs> okay, long tail is, uh, you know, how we um, when we go to Google, whether it's Kleenex or Google, we will go to Google and we are looking for something in particular. So let's say we will do how to write a book. We right. don't just do we don't just Google book, but we Google how to write a book. Mm-hmm. What, so I generally do. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. To uh, so that. what that that's a long tail. And so right. when you put in your keywords, that's what you put in is how to write a book. Because then when somebody goes and searches on how to write a book. Yours is going to come up probably much, much further up to the top than somebody else that just has write a book or write book or book. Right, and there are ways to search this out. There are ways to find out in your category or wherever wherever you are locating yourself. There are ways to find out what does work. But if you're working on a um, – uh, take my little company. I, I, have a, I have a slogan that sort of says books from concept to cash register. 
And believe me, that long tail, that goes in as key. No, I guess the answer is key words are not just words. They may be phrases. Yes. In fact, they can be pretty near whole sentences because Google has this algorithm that sort of interprets. It's a very deep algorithm. Yeah. And if you come even close to saying what they think you're saying, of course, sometimes they go way off base. But if you do, you will come up with your listing much closer to the top uh, because you've given the, the searcher uh, an opportunity to use a little imagination. And the payoff comes because it, it, from the, the fact that you had the imaginative vision to do that before they did. And uh, because, for example, if somebody puts in book concept in Google, I come up fairly close to the top all the time. But it's not what I – I don't do concept work very much. It's up to the author to do that. But what happens is the author will be thinking about how do I do a book concept, and they'll see my little company. And I've actually had calls at this level. Uh-huh. I saw your slogan on Google, or I guess it was Bing. I saw your slogan on Bing, and I said, did you? <laughs> I was really surprised. But fact is, that's what I had put in there when I put that website together. I listed a, a whole bunch of keywords and key phrases. And with today's uh, blogs like WordPress and so forth, tags are helpful. And, and uh, all, of, all of the devices, I, I think the best advice I could give to people, authors, who are really determined to work on their own brand is to look at the science of what, they have available to them. Look at what goes on beneath the surface at Google. Look at what a WordPress blog can contain and how much flexibility there is built into it. I mean, that would take several shows to talk about even, and I don't consider myself to be competent in that. I have people right here in the Phoenix area that I call and ask, and I pay them for their information too because it's good information and it gets me where I want to go, and it gets my authors something that they maybe didn't have before and maybe couldn't even do for themselves. So that's a, that's a great observation. I, I love that. Yeah, that's quite a, a, a change in thinking to go from, you know, trying to take a monolithic book and, and put it into the world of information versus going for the structure of the way information is stored and then uh, and then attacking it uh, piecewise, like you said. Yeah. Um, um, one thing that, that I've been playing with is this th- idea that's come out recently of the Amazon Kindle singles and sort of mini e-books that are only five to 30,000 words. And I've been thinking that's a good opportunity to expand a brand because if you have smaller works, uh, you can expose your book to more people with for a lower cost and possibly use some other keywords. You, yeah, you know, that, I haven't been thinking of that, at least not consciously. But I'm actually in the midst of doing something right now with a guy who's written a weight loss book. It's, it's a weight loss, it's an attitude about weight loss book is what it is. And what we're doing with his material is he's got a book that will probably end up at about 60 to 66,000 words. But we're, taking, we're breaking it down into several much smaller books that take into consideration what you should do, think, feel, say, and how you should act before you take on any kind of diet program or intentional weight loss program. That's going to be one little ebook, which will be about 9,000 words, I think, and then a second and a third and a fourth, and all of those are going to contain the 
kernels of what's in the big book, but they're going to be rephrased. In other words, we're doing a little rewriting on each one and doing what I call mini-books. I don't know if that's an adequate title or I don't know if it's even an apropos title. But they're, they don't go into the whole subject. They go into a piece of the subject. And I'm doing an extract on this book that I'm doing a second edition on now because there's a new therapeutic technique called uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is being employed with oh, yeah, yeah. Bi- bipolar people. It's, it's actually cognitive behavioral therapy with modifications and, and much more breadth and much more of a kind of a spiritual content, if you will. It takes into account things like mindfulness, a concept that you don't hear much of in therapy, but you hear a lot about in spirituality and religion. So we're taking that DBT piece out of that book, and we're doing a separate book on it, which will be around uh, 11,000 words, and will be very easy to read. It's done for for families, for average American families to read. It's, I wish somebody would do something like that on autism. It's just it's too damn much subject there to do. Uh, but, yes, I think that's a wonderful way to start the branding exercise at the reader level because they see, here's somebody saying something that I haven't heard before. I really need to see the rest of their work. And, of course, in each book, we preview the fact that the, book, the big book is coming out. That actually, it's quite shortly now. But uh, it's, a, it's a good idea. It's a, absolutely. I, I think you just gave me another element to add into the, into the branding template. Although, right, I, this never, is... <laughs> I wasn't thinking of it that way. But that's what, this... that's what you're doing. It's something the software industry started doing about 10 years ago. They call it unbundling, where they used to have a suite of products, and then they just sell them to you one at a time. It's called Adobe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've been laboring under the misapprehension that Adobe is all there is for years now. And the fact is, it's hard to find an equivalent product. So, uh, yeah, unbundling is is kind of a parallel concept to to what we've just been talking about. If it works, now so you don't do this indiscriminately because you can ruin yourself at the thread. If you don't say anything, people will know you're not saying anything. There has to be something to be said. But I think there are ways to say it, and sometimes in nonfiction, particularly, it has to do with segmentation because most of the time you're going to build your book on a segmented basis. Fiction, I don't know how you do that. Except that you could put a chapter in. We, uh, I have. Well, I, uh, Mr. Charles Dickens was relatively successful at this, if you may recall. It, it, and, and sure, and he had, and he had a very li- limited way of doing it. it was, he was uh, writing serials, serial uh, things for magazines. I remember when I was a kid, I used to go to the movies every Saturday to see episodes of Tom Mix or Batman or Roy Rogers. And they would be, I think they were called 12 reelers or something like that. It was like one reel of film, 10, 11 minutes long, and it would precede the feature. But that would keep you coming back every Saturday because just before the end of episode four, Tom was about to fall off a cliff. And then you have to come back for episode five because he might die. But, of course, you know he's not going to die. And yet you come back and you pay your 12 cents, which is what it was in the movies when I was a little kid. <laughs> I am old. But... Uh, uh, that's that's um, uh, another example. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, Victor. Really, they've been doing this for years, and and very cleverly in many ways. And and we discover it in other industries as time goes by. And right now, the book industry, as you know, is in a major upheaval at all levels. And it's time for new discoveries. It's time to let your imagination work a bit. And and I get that you do. So. <laughs> and I hope I do, except that 
I, I, I really am a linear thinker, I have to admit. I don't think in big concepts. I think in little bites. And then after a while, you begin to combine ingredients, and then you come up with a recipe, and that's, I guess, how I build books. Paul, how about, at, in closing here, some words of wisdom to those that are listening and are just sort of toying with the idea, do they have a brand or don't they? And if they don't, you know, what should they do? I can give them a piece of knowledge. Okay. Best I can do. That's good. Each one of you out there is already a brand. You just have to discover what that brand is. And is it you? Is it your work? Is it the ideas about your work? Is it how you relate your writing to other people? Is it input, on the input side or on the output side of your, of your uh, effort? And then once you've defined that and, and feel really comfortable with it, it should be the easiest thing in the world to just move forward a step at a time and build the brand based on what is and what is, is it really it's about it's about who you are, not what you do. So I don't know if that's called wisdom. Well it's wisdom and knowledge, sure. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Paul. What is your website address that um listeners can go to to check out more on you and connect with you? Oh thank you. It's www dot like everybody's OPA Author Services dot com. OPA stands for Optimum Performance Associates. Or, if you happen to be Greek, OPA stands for Grandpa. <laughs> OPA. Yeah, OPA. OPAofficeservices.com. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on with us and giving us an insight on branding and inspiration. And for those that are listening that just were kind of confused a little about this, I'm sure that you've given them so much information that they actually do know where to start. So thanks again for showing up for us. You're most welcome, and thank you for teaching me something else new, Victor. Okay. Everybody well, learns in this exercise, don't they? Yes. yes. Well, I'll try and make it less than four years when we get you back on. Ah, thank you, yes, by all means. Uh, and, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a wonderful opportunity to just blow off all my steam. <laughs> all right. This has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Creating Your Marketing Platform with our own Irene Watson. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, saying good night. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening. <laughs>